Hi, hello, welcome to another week of the Acts of the Blood God. And if you're confused right now as to why you're hearing my voice and not Cat Bailey's voice, that's because I'm Eric Van Allen, news editor at US Gamer, and I'm taking over hosting duties for this week of Acts of the Blood God. Luckily, for all you stalwart fans out there, Nadia Oxford is still here, still present, still hanging on. Nadia, how are you doing right now? Uh, I guess uh, this week I am the anchor of the show. I am the familiar island that people will cling to and say, "Help me, help me." You're you're the, the you're the thing that will calm everyone. <laughs> you know, you're going to make sure that nobody freaks out because right now they're going, "Who's this guy? What's this new format? He's talking all this different way. I don't like. I don't this. like it's okay. change. It's it's okay. I have an aversion to change. I understand that, but. All is going to be well. We're here to to talk a little bit while Kat is out taking a little trip, mm-hmm. uh, and she'll be back. Do not worry. But in the meantime, we've got some some fun stuff to talk about. I think we've got a pretty fun topic today, which is handheld RPGs. We're going to talk about all the lovely ways in which we can take our RPGs on uh-huh. the go. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up this week. Uh, not much in the realm of RPGs, Nadia. It's, it's really kind of slow right now. Yeah, um, there is definitely a huge rush coming. Like, I'm already getting, like, review codes out the butt. So that's my problem, though. For now, uh, the public will have to wait a bit. But there is going to be a deluge. So, yes, but for now, it's it's, it's quite quiet on the Western Front as, as much as I... As Katie will hit me for using a cliche, the calm before the storm. <laughs> it's uh, the only one when I was looking at this week uh, that's coming out, and this is even a bit of a stretch, but uh, Destiny 2 has Shadowkeep mm-hmm. launching and also the New Light experience is coming with that. I know it's a little bit of a stretch to call that an RPG, but it's it's like the the halo of RPGs, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, actually. do you Do you play Destiny at all? I do play, I played Destiny 2 more than I played Destiny 1. Both games, I kind of just went through the uh, main campaign content, and I also played through the campaign of Taken King, which I think mm-hmm. was for the first Destiny. Yeah. Uh, those, they're very good. I never really got into what those end games look like. And I think with New Light and Shadowkeep, I'm eager to jump in and see if this is finally going to be the moment when the end game of destiny clicks for me because you know i i like a good looter shooter every now and then maybe a little bit less nowadays Mm -hmm. but it feels really good to watch those numbers kind of gradually tick up and get really cool weapons there is that same sort of rpg cycle where you're getting really into you know outfitting your character and making them do all these cool new things so i'm hoping that that it, it retains that, and then maybe some of this raid stuff, I'll finally see what that looks like. And the only other like major RPG release that we're seeing on the horizon, for the public at least, uh, is going to be Indivisible, which we've talked about a few times on here. I know last time I was on, we talked about this, and it's looking like a really cool game. Uh, we have some impressions from PAX, I believe, about that, actually, so uh, you should go check those out. Uh, and overall just really excited for that but it feels like some of the biggest rpg stuff we can talk about right now uh is stuff that we have already played that we have already covered and that people are probably still working their way through right now uh one of those is grandia grandia got a little bit of a remake it it got the same remake treatment that everything else is getting on the switch nowadays that is 
the way of things is that if you were an old RPG that was on the PlayStation one, guess what? You've got new life on that Nintendo switch. Yeah. Although it didn't quite get as, as good a treatment as like uh final fantasy, uh, seven, eight, and nine, because, and that's a complaint a lot of people had was like, for example, there's no option to fast forward through things. Uh, whereas of course the final fantasy remakes on the switch have that option. Uh, and that's actually one thing that Gung Ho has um, addressed recently uh, coming out. They're coming out with a patch on November 12th for the Switch version of the Grandia HD collection. And they haven't said what's going to be in it. They have to do fan feedback and fan criticism. So I can assume we'll hopefully see some more features because there really wasn't much in the way of extra features in, in Grandia HD collection, uh, which was a little bit disappointing. And there's also been complaints about like some music bugs and uh, some oversaturated colors. And I don't know if any of that's going to be addressed. But uh, Gung Ho says that uh, number one, a patch is coming. Number two, they'll let us know uh, at a future date what's going to be on it exactly. So that's pretty good. It's it's good. I'm glad they're doing that. Uh, the last time I saw this game was actually a long time ago at E3. Uh, we ended up getting a quick glimpse at it that we uh, didn't uh, really write much about the time because it was like, okay, cool. Here's Grandia uh-huh. on Switch. Awesome. Here it is now. Yay. But at the time, I remember coming out of that and being like, oh boy, uh, they. I hope they tune that up a little bit before release. Uh, and they did actually from E3 to the launch fix some of the things that uh, I saw in there that were just kind of rough. Uh, I mean, they even in that uh, initial look, they were very very much letting me know this is early uh-huh. on don't you know we're, we're 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 working on it we we know uh and it seems like it's a it's a thing in progress which is you know in an ideal world you want that stuff to be taken care of before it happens but in the real world it's at least nice when developers are like aware of that thing and they keep working on it as as time goes on yeah it's better than just ignoring it and letting it go away because i know i i, I never played grandia myself on the playstation and I haven't really had time to get into the remake either that much. But I do know a lot of people have very strong feelings about Grandia. They have a lot of uh, nostalgia for it. And uh, I'm not saying they're all like, boo, about the, the remake. Like, sorry, the, the revamp. It's, uh, it's there. And they're happy it's there. But, uh, they are a little disappointed in it. So I'm glad that Gung Ho has addressed that. Definitely. And as we kind of look at other stuff, uh, I'll bring up real quick here. Uh, Greedfall was one that I covered and it's actually been uh, a hot minute since I last played Greedfall because my review would have gone live last week and I I was playing it for about I'd say a week to a week and a half prior to publishing that review. Uh, Basically once we left PAX West uh, back at the start of September was right around the time that we got Greedfall code in. Right, I remember that. And that game... I, I mean, so people who have been listening to Blood God know I've been on here before espousing the the goodness of Dragon Age 2, the, the validity uh-huh. of Dragon Age 2. <laughs> and when I... It deserves to exist. Yeah, yeah it, it deserves. It deserves recognition for the things it did well, as well as the things it did poorly. Let me put it that way. Um, uh-huh. It's more defensible than Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but when I first saw Greedfall, my, my takeaway was that it was going to be a Dragon Age 2 
two. Like it was going to be a sequel, a follow-up. And they were very much uh, the developer spiders who in the past has done a lot of what you would call like double a European RPGs, things like bound by flame and the technomancer uh, that were always very high concept, but did not have necessarily the, the polish to get the whole thing across. Mm -hmm. And they were out there very early on saying like, yes, we want to make an old Bioware style game. You know, Bioware's out here making Anthem. We're going to make the the thing that we think Bioware fans will want. And, right. and not even necessarily more modern Dragon Age style stuff, but this at a lot of points even felt closer to something like Dragon Age Origins or maybe even airing more towards KOTOR mm-hmm. than anything that's like Inquisition. So my my time with the game, I came away of, of two mindsets. I really enjoyed the ways in which they both imitated the Bioware formula and iterated upon it. Because there were a lot of really interesting things they did with the way that choices pan out and the way they make side quests feel very important. There are very few other games I can think of that have made side quests that feel as important and relevant as Greedfalls. Yeah. I think the only other one in recent memory I can think of is Witcher 3, The mm-hmm. Wild Hunt. Yeah, that's a, Witcher 3 has actually been like a big positive inspiration, I think, for our modern RPGs and their side quests actually having relevance, finally. Yeah, I, it's it's amazing. I would go into a thing in Greedfall and I would think that it was going to be a very simple task. And even if I wasn't walking away with major lore implications, I was walking away with some feeling that I had learned more, that I had gained more understanding, that I had met some interesting characters, or maybe this quest was part of a larger feed through that got me to a bigger revelation about the the story at large. I was really impressed by the way it handled those mm-hmm. things. I was really impressed by the way it developed its characters. I think it's cast uh, outside the protagonist who is more of a self insert <laughs> in, like personalityless yeah. character than Shepard ever was. Like Shepard at least had some definable character traits that carried across no matter how you role play right, them. Exactly. But the main character of Greedfall, uh Desarde, is uh, sorry for all the French <laughs> listeners out there who just heard me butcher that. <laughs> um, I, I always pronounce it Desarda oh, because no, that's how that. your pirate companion pronounces it. Every time you walk up, like everyone else gives it a pretty good French inflection. And there's, there's some interesting stuff that spiders does where like the native tribe on this island of Tierfordi that you are going to but this by the way i haven't even really set it up this is like a colonial rpg i'm not even joking it is you are going to this newfound land as one of several factions that are trying to settle it and find a cure for what is essentially Mm -hmm. the plague uh by exploiting the resources and uh trying to deal with and in the cases of like the church and stuff actively harming the native population it it definitely like goes to some places yeah. um, church is bad. in in that way subtle yeah <laughs> church bad in an, thought, in an rpg church might be bad <laughs> uh but they they take some interesting influences the native population is influenced by i, I think it's by 
Gaelic druids and stuff like that. It's it's very interesting. And obviously the church takes after the Spanish Inquisition and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of real world history stuff that then plays into just the way that you start to interpret mm-hmm. the things that are happening. And I liked a lot of the, the twists that they did. I thought some of the stuff they did with the knots who are like the uh, seafaring uh guild that are basically the only people that can get across large uh portions of the open ocean without (laughs) crashing and dying uh so they've kind of monopolized the the sea trade Uh, i thought their stuff was very very interesting all the stuff in the natives was very very interesting uh but where i feel that greedfall falls flat is in two areas and one of them is the way that it handles a lot of the colonial stuff i i think it tries to address it head on in a way that I admire, but also fails to either do anything meaningful with that or to make any of the choices that you make over the course of the game feel like they have an impact on the ending, which is a little bit of a bummer when you have this kind of build up where within the narrative, things are playing into each other and affecting things. That's really cool. But at the end, you do get this sort of situation where ultimately there are one or two boxes you have ticked or unticked and then that's what changes it and the epilogues don't really have a lot of variation outside of that and i was it it was kind of a weird way to end that game because there was so much about choice going into it that to suddenly have it all just not actually matter (laughs) that sounds a lot like bioshock like just how it was all about choice 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 and then it's like i once i accidentally killed a a little sister it was just totally an accident because i tried not to kill them but yeah, you get the you get the you're a monster ending if you like accidentally kill one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, I hate that kind of thing, especially if your game is like, oh, it, it's all about choice. You, are you going to be good or bad? Are you going to be moral or not? And it's like, oh, uh, you are A or you are B. How, thanks for playing. Presented by Capcom or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it, it falls flat in that regard. I also think that the combat is not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. It, to best describe it, it is a mix of like Dragon Age 2 and The Witcher, where you have this very active style combat that you can pause uh, and and set up things during, but you're mostly, you know, dodging to the side and attacking and using your abilities and things like that. But it never feels involved enough to merit the level of options available to you yeah. because ultimately the things you're doing don't feel rewarding to do. Uh-huh. And then the enemies that you're fighting do not, they rarely necessitate that level of involvement either. There's just a, a missing level of depth to both the enemy variety, like the way that they can fight you. Mm-hmm. And then also the, the tools that you have to fight them are very limited and don't feel very good sometimes. So ultimately, like I, I wrote in my review, I, I gave it a three out of five. And I felt that if you're someone who is just, really craving a bioware experience you will get that from greedfall and i think it does enough well that you'd want to see it but your mileage is going to greatly vary depending on how much you want that kind of experience and what you're willing to overlook in order to get it i think there are moments of brilliance that make me want to see what another game in this style from spiders might look like but i would want them to they the way the game ended they'd have to go to a different setting but uh they i'd want to see them tackle something that feels a little bit less 
like they're trying to imitate something that someone else has done and find a little bit more of their own voice in it because i think that'll give them the push to really get some of that story stuff yeah so it sounds like it's kind of like well you're on the right track uh, better luck next time yeah i mean it's the narrative that i think is coming out of it and that i think is very much earned is that this is spiders really coming into their own as a studio because like i said for years they've made rpgs that had a much greater level of disparity between how good the concept was Mm -hmm. and how good the execution was i think that gap is narrowing now and it's to a point where they've pretty much said like you know yes it, it it's messy, but we are here to compete yeah. and we will not be overlooked. And I think they've done that with Greedfall, you know, despite, despite some shortcomings still existing, I, I am glad that someone is out there doing this sort of work in, in the industry. Uh, there is one other RPG I feel we should talk about before we segue mm-hmm. into our main section. Uh, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about this, so I'll let you just kind of steer this. But Dragon Quest XI is coming out on the Switch. By the time this recording is published, it will have been out on the Switch for a while. <laughs> uh, yes. A couple days, in fact. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is not. But uh, in that respect, you know, have you been playing it much at all, Nadia? I, I wasn't sure if we had you on that on that pre-release coverage or not. Uh, I think I was. I honestly don't remember. But yes, I have been playing it. Um, I guess uh, we can speak a bit about it. Like, I'm allowed to time travel since the uh, embargo will be up by uh, this is up. And um, it's really, uh, Kat and I have talked a lot about it to this point because she's playing it kind of again for the first time. She fell off it on the PS4 because she said, oh, I'm going to wait till this comes out on the Switch. I really think it'll be better suited for, like, a handheld experience. Plus, uh, I think by that point, we knew that the orchestrated soundtrack was going to be in place so now that she has, you know, handheld and she has her orchestrated soundtrack, she's enjoying it like a great deal. Uh, I assume she's played it on the plane to London quite a bit as well. Uh, but yes, I am playing and I am enjoying it muchly. I, of course, finished the game in 2018, but I figured, well, what the hell, let's go through it again. I have 100 hours to spare. Who doesn't? So here I am on the road again. Uh, I just recruited Silvando. Uh, who is pretty much the best character of all time. I don't know if you've played Dragon Quest XI at all. Eric? I have not, and and that's why I was kind of interested in bringing it up, is I've heard it referred to by by several people, uh, by you and, and by uh, folks like Tim Rogers, who are out there espousing the, the glory of Dragon <laughs> Quest XI. The Church of Dragon Quest. I've, I've never played a Dragon Quest, ever, Ever. I have played Dragon Quest Heroes. I enjoyed Dragon Quest Heroes a great deal. I enjoyed Dragon Quest Builders a great deal. I think I've even played Dragon Quest Monsters, I think, was the one that was on Game Boy. Yeah, the Golden Days. Uh, yeah, but I've never played a proper Dragon Quest. That's interesting. And so I keep eyeing this one. And and that's the question I want to poise to you is, Nadia, I am, I am youthful. I am young. I am naive. I am not knowledgeable in these respects. Is this the Dragon Quest? That should be my first Dragon Quest. I think, yeah, you will fit in just fine on the Dragon Quest Eleven, especially since you you have a lot going for you in terms of what you know what the style is all about because you played Dragon Quest uh, Heroes, you played Dragon Quest Builders, which of course is, is excellent, especially Dragon Quest Builders 2. 
you should fall into it like just fine you know how the voice acting is you know how the writing is there's are there's a lot of people who like are actually older and they come into the newer dragon quests and of course the writing's totally different from the dragon quest that i grew up with so they're like what is this this is horrible i don't want this anymore but uh i love it i, I have no problem with it and uh but you don't know any other way because you said as you were as you said you were very young so yes 11 is a great place to start it's a great place to start for pretty much anyone who's not familiar with dragon quest it's uh tells a, a good story and in, in dragon quest tradition it starts off kind of fun lighthearted, then it goes pretty hard uh towards the middle and uh the battle system is very simple but very in-depth uh the graphics are fantastic even on the switch i'm surprised how good this game looks and how well it animates of course the this the synth the um symphonic soundtrack the new one is is a lot better than the the synthesized soundtrack, which you can still opt for if you really want to. And you can also opt for Japanese voices. And there is just so much extra stuff going on in this new version of the game. And so many new options, even just like small quality of life improvements that I'm already noticing that for stuff that I didn't think bothered me, but now that I have the quality of life improvements, I'm like, wow, I really like this idea a lot. Like, for example... You can access the fun-sized forge anywhere in the game. You can uh, automatically opt to forge new recipes that you learn. Just small changes like that they're all, are all over the game, and they're really, really valuable. So I am comfortable saying that if you have not played Dragon Quest Eleven, yes, you should play it if you're interested in Dragon Quest. And this Switch version is the version to get. All you're really missing is like, uh, I've noticed here and there, like, some of the effects are a little less. Like, uh, I think the monsters have fewer frames of animation, but you really would not know it to look at the way the monsters animate in the game. And I mentioned before that certain nature effects, like the wind blowing through the trees, isn't quite as obvious. The grass isn't quite as green. I know this sounds like some sort of, like, you know, fantasy pitch where you're, like, you know, talking about two different worlds, and one looks less real than the other, but no, it all looks good, so... You can't go wrong with the with Dragon Quest Eleven S on the Switch is what I am ultimately saying. I and the reason I ask and the reason that I'm going to now segue into our main topic is that there is a certain appeal to a handheld RPG, to a portable RPG. It's the the feeling that you can take something that, you know, the idea nowadays of sitting down on a couch and playing a hundred hour game like Dragon Quest is daunting uh-huh. you know i i feel like as much as i waste time watching hulu or netflix or whatever the idea of sitting there with like a very determined focus to play this game suddenly becomes way more daunting when it's like a video game that i have to pay attention to and interact with yeah and, i know what you mean yeah and it got me thinking about handheld rpgs in general because there is kind of this growing trend of bringing both old rpgs to platforms like the switch and also this this sentiment that i I hear a lot from people who who are like oh you know i want to play this really long game only if it's on the switch because that means (laughs) that i can like i can stop and start it i can be doing it while i'm doing other things it's easy to carry around it's it's like having a book Mm -hmm. in your pocket you know it's it's that appeal but now it's an RPG. It's something you can interact with. So Nadia, I'll, I'll pose this first one to you. 
what are the hallmarks of like a good handheld RPG? What are the things that when you play a long role-playing game on a portable system, you feel like there are must-haves? You've got to do this one thing right. I feel like just having an RPG on a handheld system is by virtue a great decision uh, for a lot of the reasons you've already mentioned. Uh, particularly the Switch. One thing that really stood out to me that you just said there was like, it's like having a book. And you're absolutely right because um, by nature of my work, I still review a lot of RPGs on the PlayStation 4 and I also review a lot of RPGs on the Switch. And the thing I notice is that I don't play on the Switch. I am literally just picking up my Switch, turning the button back on, you know, press the button three times and you are straight back to where you were. Whereas even on the PlayStation 4, it's like mm-hmm. if your TV isn't on, you got to turn that on. You got to turn on your PlayStation. You got to take it out of sleep mode. You got to, you know, start it. You can start the game where it was, but it still, it, it takes definitely a few more seconds than it does on the Switch. And you do kind of notice that, that sort of thing. And I find that the Switch also kind of tends to crash less than the PlayStation 4. There have been many times where I just kind of put my PlayStation 4 game down and I went to pick it up and it's the PlayStation decided to turn off the game for me. Thank you, PlayStation 4. I appreciate you making these decisions for me. And then you got to load it back up. And certain games take a very long time to load. I don't know if you remember how long uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, took how long that took to load. Oh, um, so that was, yeah. that was an ordeal. Yep. Uh, there is just not enough said for how easy it is to get into a switch game like it is literally even when you reboot the system you know rebooting a a playstation 4 or an xbox is a song and dance because first of all if there was uh, a problem with uh, your power you're going to get a lecture about how you didn't power off the system properly and well go blame me that wasn't my fault but then you got to wait for everything to boot back up and switch um first of all if the power goes off big deal it's got a battery uh, second of all, again, you just picked up that switch, you press those three buttons, and you are on again. And when you are playing an RPG, you want to be kind of immersed in the game again as quickly as possible. And the switch makes that really, really possible. Yeah, I, I, I just love the idea of because every time I turn on my PS4, and this happened just recently, the power went out at my apartment, and it, it was only for like. A, a, a flash second but of course the ps4 is all like oh hold on it does that little beep 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 and all that and it's like we can chill out check check memory is the memory okay check the memory yes we're gonna check every byte on this system and then we're gonna load it that's (laughs) great it's it's a ridiculous an arduous process every time and with my switch i just i pick it up and it's like hello welcome you're back Let's let's back. resume where we back. left off. It's it's like uh, it's like I don't know why I'm th- I'm thinking about the Princess Bride a lot recently because Tom Ori, uh, now friend of the site, no longer with the site, uh, was was in our Slack recently talking about the Princess Bride, uh, saying saying some poor things about it, and I came to it. He said mean things about the Princess Bride. That's why he doesn't uh-huh. work for us anymore. Yeah. No, just kidding. He still works for Gamer Network. Yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still around. He's just not U.S. gamer anymore. So we we take onus with it. But uh, I I think about in that movie where they have the cutaways to the kid and Peter Falk sitting there talking, and then they just mm-hmm. jump back into the story. And it's it's like that. It's just in and out. It's just snap. And yes, that's so 
critical because I actually find myself not saving in games as often on the Switch <laughs> because I can just turn it off and put it down and pick yeah. it back up. And so I'll run into situations where I'm like, I was playing AI The Somnium Files, which is the new Zero Escape style game from the Zero Escape creator. And oh, cool. I realized about like 10 hours into that game, I hadn't made a save file yet. And oh, no. In in a game that's so choice driven and, and stuff to, to just not do that, I realize I've been conditioned that the switch is something that I just pick up and put down. I don't necessarily turn it on and turn it off in the way that I do with a PlayStation. I think that level of decommitment from the mm-hmm. app ends up making it easier for you to just kind of chip away at things and to jump into these longer experiences and to spend more time even in these worlds i with fire emblem three houses i would i would normally be like oh you know i'm not going to do these side battles i don't care you know maybe i'll auto instruct this week because i don't want to go through that process but when i know that i can just pick it up and be like okay i've got 10 minutes i'm going to run through this week of classes real quick get everything set up so that way the next time I sit down for like a dedicated gaming session, yes. I'm going to jump right into the next big story battle. That's so good. If that was on a console, I wouldn't be able to do that. No, no. There are times where I have to choose between playing on the PlayStation and playing on the Switch. And I, I am not afraid to admit just how spoiled I am when I say, oh, I don't want to wait the three minutes it would take to get things set up with this with the PlayStation. I just want to pick up my Switch game and resume exactly where I left off. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so much simpler. But in the same, on the flip side of this, there are games that I feel like I would never want to play on the Switch. As crazy as that sounds, I know yeah. it's there is someone out here saying that in the year 2019, there are games I don't want on the Switch. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not interested in the idea of The Witcher Three on Switch. Oh, really? Because that's one of my that's one of my on the list sort of games that I want to get through. And I think for you, because it would be your kind of first experience with the game. Yes. It would be my, it's my first time playing the Witcher three. And I've I've been waiting for an opportunity like this where I can just kind of have, uh, I've I've told Kat many times in the past that another problem I have with playing games, uh, RPGs on the PlayStation is that we have one HD television Mm. and my watch is a lot of WWE. So uh, he kind of bogarts the TV a lot. And of course with the switch, that isn't a problem. See, I think in that situation, it makes a lot more sense. For for someone like me, I played through The Witcher on uh, PlayStation. And right. I, I did it, I think at the time, I was still living in a place in Atlanta that was a very small apartment. So I sat very close to my television. It was basically at the foot of my bed. So <laughs> I... I was able to see everything up close and not have some of the worries that I do now where my TV is a little bit farther away. Cause I live in a little bit nicer of an apartment now. And, uh, I have to like squint at menu text and the idea yes. of all that stuff going onto a small screen suddenly worries me. And that's, that's maybe the thing that I want to see how devs are going to start to address because we've already seen it even with games like fire mm-hmm. emblem where, text size and menu size Tiny. still feel like they're scaling for the the docked mode of switch rather than the handheld mode and i'm hoping that with the switch light and now that people are picking that up that 
it's going to err more on the side of let's make sure the handheld experience is yeah. good. Yeah. Because I think for a large portion of people who are playing it handheld, I, I, at least me personally, I play my switch mostly handheld. The only time I dock it is to play smash. So I'm hoping they start airing on that side. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like I definitely want to see them do bigger text because I, I am all about like, I actually wrote an article ages ago for the escapist with a friend of mine who was like a world-class designer he came up to me and he said, hey, um, I'm, a, I'm a designer, but I can't write. So I want to kind of help enlist you. I want to enlist you here. And we're going to write an article about <laughs> how game devs don't know sweet crap all about fonts and font selection and decent font selection. And which is, of course, it's a whole thing. He said, if, 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 if other industries were as bad as game development is with their fonts, they'd be like just like put up against a wall and shot because it is kind of disgraceful how how bad the font situation is in video games and other industries are very concerned about accessibility and of course we all know by now that you know just going the tiny font example is a good one and no no options to change that half the time more than half the time it's pretty terrible and that said, I can't say I've had too much problem with the Switch fonts, probably because I my eyes are so bad, I hold the screen up to my eyes so close anyway. I mean, you, I think I had you try my glasses on. We were at PAX, and like you saw how, how viciously bad my eyes are. So yeah, I'm blind anyway. Yeah, I'm only, I mean, I know I know this from experience as well, because my, my sister uh, also has like much higher strength prescription than I do. So every once in a while... I'll, you know, I can sometimes take my glasses off and, and yeah. be fine. And the only thing I won't be able to read are like kind of far away signs and things like that. But with my sister, if she's not wearing her glasses or contacts, she's suddenly like legally blind. <laughs> and yeah, so am I. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a whole different thing. And so, yeah, I, I hold my switch a little bit casually. So that might be part of it is I need to, I need to hold my switch with more determination. I need to be more involved <laughs> in the playing of my switch. You need to be more of an Undertale character. Exactly. Determination. Filled with determination. But it's, it's funny. We've talked mostly about the switch because that's where handheld gaming is at these days. That, uh-huh. You know, rest in peace, the Vita. But <laughs> uh, It tried very hard. It's a good system. And it was a good RPG system. And that's how I kind of want to segue into, you know, the idea of how these handheld RPGs have scaled over the years. Because you see some of the earliest examples, things like uh, Pokemon on mm-hmm. the original Game Boy could kind of be considered the Ur RPG for handhelds. Uh, yeah. And you go on through the years, you've got Golden Sun, you've got Persona. The Vita itself became such a repository for old RPGs and new RPGs alike before the Switch came out. I knew a lot of people who, even when the Switch was, you know, in its nascent stages, they were still like, oh, I'm holding on to my Vita because it's the JRPG machine. It's, it really is. Yeah. Especially for those old PS1 RPGs you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. I, I still have my Vita around and every now and then I'd charge it up and think about jumping into games that you just either can't find anywhere else yeah. you know maybe it's the odd ps3 or ps2 port that just has not made its way to the switch yet or it's the form factor of it was just something that felt oddly familiar maybe because it was still a playstation console it had that feel mm-hmm. of a playstation whereas for some reason the switch wants to mix up the buttons on us yeah. and put them where they should not be 
uh, see on the opposite to me, Nintendo's buttons is where they should be. And PlayStation was the weirdo and Xbox was the real bastard of the bunch. Mm, see, I, I am the millennial gamer. I'm the, you are the millennial RPG gamer. <laughs> Have we talked you about my it. RPG history on here? I think we did when I first came on ages ago. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm coming from the approach to where I'm legitimately considering playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time because I've never actually played it. I've just kind of absorbed it through game industry osmosis over the mm-hmm. years. But the first RPG I really like... I mean, the first RPG I beat was Final Fantasy X. And that was kind of where my play, you know, where my RPG playtime kicked off. So yeah. to have the Switch be this thing that is bringing back a lot of these old RPGs is actually a huge thing for me. Because as nice as, as it is for all the people who are nostalgic for, for Final Fantasy, for the older games, for me, it's like here is this giant plethora of stuff that you missed because you were too young to know what it was. You know, you weren't at the age where you were paying attention to that stuff yet. And now we're remastering it. We're repackaging it. We're handing it to you. We're saying, check out how good this looks now and you should play it now. And it's, it's a, it's a good time, but yeah, it really is. I think that what they're doing with these remasters, some people say, Oh, it's creatively bankrupt. They're just looking for money. But I think it's very important because I've been into RPGs for a very long time and I still haven't been able to play every single thing. Like I missed out on most of the PlayStation 2 RPG uh, history, believe it or not. So, you know, when Final Fantasy X comes around, when Final Fantasy XII comes around, it's like, oh, okay, now I can finally play this because it's in front of me. It's It has these features that are really handy, like fast forwarding when I need to. And it's, it's almost funny that we're starting to see... Uh a rekindling of nostalgia for RPGs in the new ones that we're playing too, because, you know, we've mentioned some already dragon quest 11 and three houses that are these large productions that you would never have expected to see on a portable platform. Even three years ago would have just been crazy to think about. Yeah. And, and now they're on the switch and they're portable and they handle very well, but you also have games like octopath traveler and uh, I am Setsna yeah. that are, very much trying to rekindle that old nostalgia. And, you know, I played I Am Setsuna on the PlayStation, and I, I believe I wrote about it at the time and said that it felt a little bit like I was just kind of going through the motions. It felt very yeah. repetitive in a way that did not appeal to me uh, then. But for some reason, the idea of Octopath was very different because here was this game that is on the Nintendo Switch that can take with me everywhere. And now it's something that I'm not sitting down to. I, I don't feel like I'm being kind of lectured to about how I should feel nostalgic about old games. It's just right. something that feels more natural and more at home with the system it's on. And I, I don't know if there's like a way that I can put words to that exact feeling, but there's something about the switch. There's something about that platform, that ability to kind of pick it up and put it down to not sit down at a console that feels conducive to feelings and nostalgia it's it's like carrying around the memory of the game itself and not just the game you know you you can sit there and be like oh you know i've got my nintendo switch here i'm sitting on the bus going to work or whatever Mm -hmm. and i just really want to jump back in and just be in midgar for this commute or whatever this is what i want to do and that feels so much more conducive to those emotions than sitting down and being like okay well i've got 
an hour between I just got off work and I need to start cooking dinner. Yeah. I've got laundry. I got it. But I really want to play this game. It's just a whole different emotion that I feel coming from the Switch. Yeah. And um, it's actually the Switch, obviously, is like the modern interpretation of that feeling. But uh, I have to give a shout out to the the 3DS because it was pretty good for that as well. And the DS. Uh, and one of those reasons was because, uh, number one, both systems have some great RPGs. Uh, one RPG that is on the 3DS that you we do not know how it is going to work on the Switch whenever it finally gets there is, of course, the Etrian Odyssey series and the Persona Q series, which is kind of the same thing. But um, those are both excellent series that worked so well with the touchscreen because it was all about mapping. And then, of course, when you were tired of playing and you wanted to just do something else for a while, you just close your, your DS or your 3DS and go do whatever and then you open it again. It's even easier than it is on the Switch. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you mentioned games and how they're going to work on the Switch because I, I think I tweeted about this earlier this week, but I was thinking about how Tokyo Mirage Sessions is going to handle all the mm. second, sc- second screen cell phone stuff that that game did. But in the same vein, like the, the Switch does feel like that natural, natural extension of the the DS and the 3DS that pick up and play mentality. And that was really what got me going because if I look back at my handheld RPG days, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is the world ends with you because that was just, I mean, that game is literally one of my favorite games of all time on, on any, it could be my favorite. Yeah. I haven't played it in a very long time because there was a version that came out. Was it for the switch? And I hear it wasn't very good. So I didn't, I didn't like do my replay after all, but um, I absolutely loved it on the DS when it came out to that. I enjoyed the, the switch re-release for what it was, because I think with a game like that, where the way that you play it is so intrinsic to the platform that you play it on, there was no way it was going to get remade. Like if you wanted to play the world ends with you as it was originally intended, you'd have to go back and just buy a DS and play it there. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, for what it was coming to the Switch, I thought it did a good enough job of keeping that spirit alive while fixing up some of the stuff that was not great about the the iOS port, which is what it was largely right. based off of. Uh, it had a little bit more of the teamwork aspect baked in, which is what I felt the iOS port was, was sorely missing. And... It's, I mean, that is a perfect game to look at and say, you know, that is something that is just going to be impossible to ever port forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad they did it for the Switch. But uh, when you look at other things that have, have carried on, obviously Fire Emblem has a huge legacy on handhelds right. here in the U.S. Because while it was, it's, it was a console game in Japan, you know, it started there on the Super Famicom. But for us all our memories in the U S extend back to the, the game boy, the game boy, the game boy advance. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, this sacred stones was huge. Yeah. It was, I had just come off of advance wars. And oh. so I was like, I want another thing that's like advance wars. And it was so radically different yet. It was so fresh and so interesting. I mean, it is, it is functionally the same as advance mm-hmm. wars. It is that turn based strategy, but it's such a different take on it. I agree. It's so different. It, it, I ended up finding something new to love even more than advance wars. And that's carry forward all the way to three houses. And I feel like that was a major step. You know, I never, one of, one of my larger backlog games that people are always like, I can't believe you haven't played this is I've never played golden sun. And I list, 
most of the Nintendo handhelds and some of my favorite consoles of all time, and I still haven't played the original Golden Sun. So that's I uh, haven't. I think I started it, and I just didn't really get into it. But I haven't really given it a really good try. But yeah, definitely an interesting looking game of its, it's time. That I think is 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 due up for a uh, for a little bit of love on the Switch. I think it's absolutely. Yeah, I would absolutely give it like. It, it could really use a remaster and then a new game. Like if the, if you were to tell me, oh, we're going to get a Golden Sun collection for the Switch and then we're going to get a new Golden Sun game, I'd be all for that. Mm-hmm. But when it, it's funny, the other handheld RPG that jumps to mind for me, the one that like sticks with me so much, is Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga. Uh, yes, that's a great game. It's it's an incredible game. It's an incredible RPG. Like it's it's one that yeah. is so simple that the first time when I started playing it, I was like, wait, is this really it? You just take turns bouncing on each other's heads. This is silly. But by <laughs> the end of it, I was like, this is such a like in-depth and interesting mechanically RPG. You know, by that I hadn't played Super Mario RPG or any of that stuff up to that point. So I wasn't yet familiar right. with that sort of style of design. But Superstar Saga just did so much with what little it had. I mean, you had two party members for the entire game, just Mario and Luigi. And the whole game was about the interactions that you could do between them, the way that you could manipulate combat using just two characters and the special abilities they had. And it made, it it took a, a system that was going to be inherently limited. You know, you can only do so much on a Game Boy Advance cart but they found ways to really push that format and do interesting things with their limitations that yeah and uh to this day i i think that the uh most of the the super mario uh the mario and luigi games kind of subscribe to that two person party uh with some exceptions and i still think it's one of the most innovative well-rounded combat systems in an rpg ever uh i still go on file saying that uh, frankly bowser's inside story is one of my favorite rpgs of all time handheld or otherwise like it's actually one of the best written rpgs i've ever played uh, i i love the mario and luigi series i love the paper mario series i, I would out, uh, easily outrank them over the original super mario rpg uh hot take for the day that's a good hot take Very what are some day. of your standout handheld rpgs I mentioned the Etrian Odyssey games, which I really enjoy. They're very strangely calming. I was a latecomer to the Etrian Odyssey series, very late. And I was just like enthralled by, like, is this smooth jazz that I'm listening to as I move through this maze where things are trying to kill me? Like, I I just fell in love with it instantly. Um, I also, on the Game Boy, I, of course, I loved Pokemon. And Pokemon is actually important for many, many reasons, but here's one that doesn't get cited very often. It was one of the first RPGs that I can think of that let us save wherever we wanted. And that was a big, big advancement for RPGs and I guess just portable games in general or games in general because, you know, RPGs it is and can still be notoriously uh, hard to save. And I mean, you're young, you're probably all about, you know... all these kids today are all about auto-saving, but I'm still very paranoid. <laughs> and I still have to like go to the kids or go to the church to save or, or whatever. I have to make sure I've done that. But Pokemon was was a lifesaver uh, in a time when like parents were always like, hey, get off that game right now and do your homework. And it's like, okay, mom, I'll, I'll do that right now. And Because parents, uh, to quote Will Smith, just don't understand 
they don't understand that you can't just stop a game or ever a lot of the time, even in the even in the age of auto saving and um, and say, OK, well, that's it. I'm done for now because you'll you'll lose your progress a lot of the time. So I really have to give a shout out to Pokemon for doing that. I think Heart Gold and Soul Silver are really, really excellent handheld RPG is great upgrades. Um, Dragon Quest Eight on the Game Boy is a very good port. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Final Fantasy doesn't really have much in the way of... No, you know what? Final Fantasy IV for the PSP is uh, the rem- the, um, the complete collection is one of the best remakes ever made. And I'm really disappointed that we haven't gotten the same treatment for Final Fantasy VI or V or any really any of the old Final Fantasies. The only one that gets any sort of attention is four, which is fine. It's one of my favorite games of all time, but... I'd really love to see that done for six. Uh, I could sit here all day and name off RPGs that like portable RPGs that I love because I pretty much love all of them. But those are my standouts. I think one that has not come up yet that sticks out the most to me, just because I feel like in some bizarre way, this series became defined by what amounted to only two portable releases in an otherwise console series right. is the yes. Persona series. Persona 3 Portable was huge for the Vita particularly, but Mm -hmm. Persona 4 Golden, arguably one of the most high-profile titles in that series leading into uh, 5, really, like, most people played Persona 4 on their Vita through Golden. You know, I know very few people who have ever played the actual original PS2 version of that game, and so it that contextualizes a lot of why I think people are just going, why is Persona 5 Royal not on the Switch? You know? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that I understand. It's it's another one of those games that feels like it would just be right at home on that on that platform. And, you know, there are obviously uh developmental reasons why that that has not happened. I I'm, I'm not envious of anybody who has to take these massive RPGs and get them yeah. onto a single switch cart like the the darn wizards at CD Projekt Red have, which is just bonkers. I still cannot believe that all of The Witcher 3 is going to fit on a single Nintendo Switch cart. That's Yeah, I'm still kind of blown away by that because it's like uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, of course, looks great and has tons of content, has tons of new content, and I'm impressed with how much there is even there, but like... The, I think The Witcher 3, especially with its DLC, out, outstrips it easily in terms of size. It's it's a massive game. It it like I cannot I cannot overstate that because yeah. you think of Breath of the Wild as being the largest game on the Switch right now with how large its world is. Yeah. And you've got Wild Hunt, which has its massive world, which is I I mean, there's probably someone who has gone on YouTube out there and done a direct comparison for how long does it take to run across each of these worlds and which one's the largest and all that. But you tack on then the the second DLC, um, which I'm going to completely forget now, uh, Blood Blood and Wine, Wine, yeah, Uh, which adds an entirely new area. Yeah. Also pretty big and you think about all the content in that game and the fact that it is 3d and it's rendered in, you know, a lot of detail. I'm not, I'm not going to be out here saying one game looks better than the other. They all are gorgeous video games, 
uh but the witcher just has so many assets and things that it, it deals with there's so many things in that game world that have so much depth to them that i just cannot believe that it is fitting onto a single cart like that it, it, it's magic and so now we're in this day and age where you can do that kind of magic where you can take these massive rpgs and shrink them down to the switch so i don't want to close it off by just saying what do you want to see on the switch <laughs> next because that feels you know obviously we want everything but of course. i think i think a good way to close it off is just to say that it's the switch has i mean i mean i've always enjoyed playing handheld games to some extent more than console games mm-hmm. like I'm, i feel comfortable in saying that just because I have been a handheld gamer most of my life from the Game Boy on through the DS and the 3DS and the Vita. And now the Switch, I've always just spent more time on handheld consoles. I enjoy them a lot. And, but I think with the Switch specifically, it's changed the way I think about these large RPGs and it's changed the way that I want to consume them forever now. You know, I, I can't think of, large games that i wouldn't want to at least you know give a chance at especially with jrpgs which uh just feel so much more at home like we mentioned that that feeling of nostalgia and warmth that you get from pulling it out of your pocket like it's an old paperback book that you carry around with you and it's like okay it's it's time to still to make your pocket but yeah time to lose myself a little bit well it's 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 fine you know base switch (laughs) maybe a little bit large for a pocket but we all saw the pictures of Mike. He he slid that light right in there. It's all good. So yeah, but like men's pants have pockets. Women's pants like they have like these little slits that they call them pockets, but it's a lie. But yeah, you're right. For men's pants, it's okay. Y'all can carry purses. See, I'm trying to start the revolution. True. The 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 dude bag. You know, I'm bringing that. You should. Bags are really handy. I like the string backpack every now and then when I'm when I know I'm going to be out and about for the day. You know, I throw a few things in the string backpack, walk around with that. You all right? Yeah, that works too. I have like a million of those things. Acts of the Blood God, come to us for all your recommendations on RPGs and for everyday accessories. <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I can't accessorize to save my life. Don't trust me. If you run into a fashion goblin, it'll kill you if you take my advice. <laughs> on that note i just want to thank everyone for tuning in thank you for having me as the guest host this week don't worry everything will be Uh, thanks for coming (laughs) i I, i'm happy to show up i'm happy to to share my millennial takes uh on all things (laughs) rpg to come on here and be like y'all ever played this old rpg it's called mass effect 3 (laughs) oh my god no 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 not allowed don't worry y'all for next week cat will be back Cat will be done traveling. In the meantime, stay true to the blood god, y'all.